Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Today our theme is Church Discipline in the 21st Century. Before we move on to our questions, can you please clear your thoughts, as you say, on the topic for us? Church discipline is a critical aspect of church life. The 21st century should not in any way interfere with church discipline Four reasons. Number one, God is the same. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you, the sons of Israel, are not consumed. Number two, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. And the Holy Spirit is also the same. Hebrews 9.14 calls him the eternal spirit. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 to 4, we are told that God disciplined Israel because as a father disciplines his children, so God too disciplines Israel. In Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 5, all the way to verse 12, we are told that God is a disciplinarian. In fact, the verse 10 of Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines us so that we can become partakers of his holiness. We see the Holy Spirit disciplining Ananias and Sapphira in the early church, in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, verse 4, verse 9, husband and wife, they both died the same day for telling what we would say is a small lie. Because the property was their own, they sold it, and they could just have admitted that, oh, this is not all the money, it's half or something. We kept back part, and this is the one we have brought to the church. So. Church discipline puts the church of God in order and helps to bring up God's children with a culture that befits God. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says that Jesus is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but holy and glorious. 
so the times have changed. 21st century is here with us. Governments are ruling, don't discipline your children. Don't do this to your children. But the eternal word of God stands sure. In Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. So, in his love for the church, he disciplines the church. A lot of pastors do not have the backbone to take corrective action when the church is going astray. I believe by the end of this, I would have convinced a few more to join me to believe that church discipline in the 21st century is not only expected by God, but it's a necessity to keep the church holy. God bless you. So we'll take our first question. The first question is that what is discipline? In general, when we talk about discipline, what is it? And then we'll look at discipline from the biblical perspective. Discipline is from Latin disciplina. Disciplina. And it means the training which will make a person Keep the rules. And when it comes to church discipline, church discipline is applying God's standard of behavior and lifestyle to church members, both when they are strained and they have to be restored, and also, when church members are going wayward beyond correction, then church discipline comes in. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says that if any brother is overtaken by sin, those who are spiritual to restore him with a spirit of meekness and look to themselves that they too are not tempted. But in addition to that, we have the passage in First Corinthians chapter 5 where a man was sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul took action and said they should deliver that person to Satan so that his flesh will be tortured in order that he may be saved on the day of judgment if he repents. So, Church discipline is any 
action taken by church leaders and church membership to correct a straying brother or sister and restore that person. But if the person keeps on rebelling, then action must be taken against that person so that he does not destroy the church of God like a little leaven leavening the whole. That's what I can say about church discipline. It's restorative if the person will change and come back, but it is destructive if the person continues in stubbornness and is not interested in changing, but wants to pollute others. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next one we want to look at is what kind of actions require church discipline? Okay. If anybody has a Bible, you can unmute and read for us. First Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read from verse 9 all the way to 13. First Corinthians chapter 5. We are reading from verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So that passage is very clear. It says the church has no business judging those outside the church. But those who claim to be brothers, born again Christians, if they are sexually immoral, if they are greedy, if they are drunkards, if they are idolaters, if they are involved in sinful living, but insist on being called brothers and fellowshipping with the church, we should note that person and begin church discipline by refusing to associate with that person. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 and 14, we can read that one too. Paul was telling the Thessalonians that If anyone will not work, he should not be even allowed to eat. And that they should not, those who are unruly and don't want to respect what they have written and have nothing to do with that person, but not treat him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10 and verse 14. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, 
verse 10. For and even 14. when we were with you, we gave you this yes. rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And verse 14, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. So, church discipline spans a very wide area. If a brother is not working and yet insists on eating, or, you know, the letter of Paul is read and somebody continues to live unruly life, then they were to note such people and have nothing to do with them. In Romans chapter 16, from verse 17 and 18, he says, those who cause divisions among you, note them, mark them, have nothing to do with them. Romans 16, 17 and 18, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetite. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So that's the span of discipline in the church. That should give you a good idea. First uh, Timothy 6, verse 3 and 4, he says, A man who is a heretic or is preaching false doctrine, warn him two times, three times, reject him. That's it. First Timothy 6, 3, 4, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Thank you. So I want to look at the next question. We says that what's the ultimate aim of church discipline? Some Christians frown on church discipline. They feel, why should the church discipline people? Why can't it be done quietly? Why can't the person go into his or her closet and talk to God about it? What is the ultimate aim of church discipline? Five reasons. Number one, God's name must be protected. Romans 2.24 says, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When unbelievers see that the choir leader is flirting and nothing is done to him, he comes to lead worship People are weeping, falling on the ground. And yet when he leaves the mic, he goes to sleep with a girl in front of the whole village. If nothing is done, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. 
Number two, discipline corrects the sinner. Proverbs 13, 24 says, anyone who spares the rod hates his child, but anyone who loves him rises up to discipline him often. It is when the sinner is rebuked, checked, opposed, and resisted, disciplined, that the others stand in fear. First Timothy chapter 5, from verse 17 to 20, he says, Elders who continue in sin, rebuke them openly so that the rest will stand in fear. When someone causes abortion in the church and it is heard among all the ladies and nothing is done to that lady, it emboldens the other ladies to do the same. But when she is disciplined openly, the others stand in fear. That's what the Bible says. The fourth reason is God is a holy God. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, the earlier part of the Hebrews 12.5 says that any son who has not been disciplined by the father is a bastard. So, when church members are disciplined, God is showing that he loves them. Job 5.17.18 where he says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. So at the end of the day, church discipline restores the sinner, puts fear into the hearts of other church members who are sinning, and glorifies God's name among the unbelievers and also brings to bear truth in the church as far as preparing the people for God is concerned. Those of you who remember Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira died, the Bible says there was great fear in the church. I'm sure those who told a small lie before coming to church that day, they were blessing their stars that they were not the ones found out. But church discipline cleans the church for Jesus. So that is the purpose. 
It's multi-purpose. But that's why we do it openly. You don't do it secretly because there are times when if it's a secret sin, we consider disciplining the person secretly. But if it's an open sin, everybody has heard about it, people know of it, or it's a pregnancy, people can see the belly that you went and slept with another man's wife and it's all over. Then the punishment should not be in private. Otherwise, it doesn't achieve its purpose at all. Thank you. Thank you very much, Apostle. One will ask, what are these disciplinary measures? What are some of them? If you can please tell us. And the first one we have been told is to rebuke the person. Now you can rebuke privately Luke chapter 17 from verse 1 to 4. You can rebuke privately but you can also rebuke openly. That's the first Timothy 5 from 17 to 20. Two, you can break fellowship. First Corinthians 5 from verse 9 to 13. Second Thessalonians 3, 14. You can break fellowship. Then, you can excommunicate the person. You don't allow the person to take communion. Then also, in Matthew 18, from verse 18, Jesus says, the church can treat that person as a Gentile, as an unbeliever. And the first Corinthians 5, from 5 to 7, you can hand the person over to Satan to discipline the person as a church. And now I can mention this, that I had a difficult case. Uh, one of my prominent choir leaders was involved in sexual immorality. He slept with two sisters, one mother, one father, on the altar where I preached. And when I investigated the case, I was so incensed that I gave him 12 lashes. The best way to handle the case is when you sit on it, depending on the gravity of the case, you might choose to just rebuke, just break fellowship, just bring the person in front of the whole church to come and say what he has done. You can excommunicate the person, let him sit at the back of the church for some time. You can collect the eldership post from him. Or, you know, when I was young, I punished somebody for five years, one of my elders, etc. Some we dismiss from the church. 
we had a district pastor and they brought a mad woman for him to pray for, for healing. And he was sleeping with the mad woman. So when I heard it, I dismissed him. So depending on the gravity of the offense, uh, the board or the committee, disciplinary committee, decides the person's fate or the church deacon's board. Thank you. Thank you very much. So just a follow-up question, Apostle. What does it mean to hand someone over to the devil or to Satan? Uh, just what you have said. Say we are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we are in Christ. Now, somebody is sinning persistently, rebelling in front of the whole church. And you want to let, uh, to, to punish him so that the whole church will wake up to the gravity of the situation. So you meet, you hold hands, and you commit the person to Satan. That means the protection of God by the church is removed. The fellowship of Jesus in that person's life is removed by the authority of the church leadership. And he is handed over to Satan uh, to have his way with him so that he will learn not to do that again. I hope it's clear. Yes, it is clear. Then there are some questions in the chat that relates to this. So I'll frame the question and put it across. One may ask that then where do we draw the line? Because if some disciplinary actions are taken against some church members, won't it push these church members to become unbelievers? Since we, we stated that discipline, church discipline, is supposed to restore the sinner, won't this be contrary to what we want to achieve with church discipline? God is not forced to save anybody. So if you are not savable, if you don't want to cooperate with the process of salvation, you are like Lord's wife. You see, the angels brought Lot, his wife and two daughters out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And said, flee to the mountains. Nobody should look back. But Lord's wife did not want to cooperate with the process. So she looked back. And the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. That's it. Now, our generation in church has the funny idea that God's love can replace his holiness. That is a caricature of God. God must punish sin. 
And that is why Jesus died on the cross for sin. So, even angels in heaven, when they sinned, he cast them down. Satan was in heaven. He cast them down. Look at what he did to Noah's generation. He saved only eight people out of the whole of mankind at that time. Look at the Israelites between Egypt and the promised land. Out of 605,000 foot soldiers who left Egypt, only two, Joshua and Caleb, got to the promised land. He killed all of them on the way. Nobody should get the funny idea that God must save me. Anyhow I behave, it doesn't matter, God must. No, no, no. Some people are wolves in sheep clothing in the church. They have come to eat the sheep. We must not take it for granted that once the person professes to be a Christian, he is genuine. That's not true. So, God is a holy God. And when we say check discipline is to restore, we can only restore the sheep. We can't restore the wolves in sheep clothing. Because they are not restored. There is no way we can restore them. They are wolves. They are not sheep. Some people in the church are not children of God. They are not genuine. They are snakes, vipers. In the church. So if you give them the chance. They will sleep with all the girls in the church. They will steal church money. If you give them the chance. They will destroy the church. So because of that. We have to be tough. And make sure that. People who continue sinning who do not want to be restored and are not prepared to repent, then they should go and do what they are doing somewhere. They don't. They, they should not do it in the house of God. Even Jesus took uh, canes and whip and whip people in the temple. It's not just everybody who is in the temple whom God wants to stay there. I think it's 2 Timothy 2.19. He says that God's seal is twofold. The Lord knows those who are his. And let anybody who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that, Apostle. The next one we want to look at is what department of the church should be responsible for the discipline? And is it important for the church to have a disciplinary board? Uh, The answer to the last one is yes. It took me some time to appreciate the work of the disciplinary committee or team or board 
uh, we later came to name it a spiritual growth committee. Because when somebody sins in the church, there is a need to investigate the case and find out whether it was intentional or deliberate. Whether the person just tumbled into the sin or is a habitual sinner. The Greek word used in Galatians 6.1 is if anyone is overtaken by fault, it means it is not deliberate. And even in the Old Testament, intentional sin was not forgiven. It was only unintentional sin that was pardoned. So it's the same in the New Testament. It's important to find out. And because of that, if the church is a small church, then the deacons board or eldership board or whatever you call it can serve as the disciplinary committee. But if the church is large and there are many such cases, then you might need to form a separate board to handle such matters so that they will have the time and the patience patience to counsel the person, research and get all the facts, and, you know, make the punishment such that there will be justice. The person will not be over-punished or under-punished. So that is why every church needs a disciplinary board. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I want to now find out, what if the pastor of the church is part of the disciplinary board and the pastor commits an offense that needs discipline? Should the church pastor be part of a disciplinary board? Okay. And like I was telling you from my own experience, whenever the pastor alone disciplines somebody, there are mixed feelings. Sometimes they may feel the pastor is avenging. I mean, all kinds of reactions can follow. But if there is a committee seeing to that, they spare the pastor and everybody can see that justice has been administered. The pastor need not be a member of the disciplinary committee. But I will answer your second question. If the pastor himself is involved in an action deserving discipline, he must be disciplined. Luke 12, 47, 48 says, To him who much is given, much more will be required. And if you, you, you notice Leviticus chapter 4, if a priest sins, 
He alone was to bring a bull to offer a sacrifice for his sin. But if a, the whole congregation sins, they were also to bring one bull. Because he is supposed to know better. If a priest's daughter is found in adultery, she is to be bent. But all the other women, if they are caught in adultery, they are to be stoned. So a pastor who is involved in something which deserves discipline, the church must be able to take him on and discipline him. Okay. Thank you very much. So we also want to find out that if someone says, so there are instances where you hear people say that um, the Holy Spirit corrects them when they go wrong. And so something has happened and the person is being told that you have to undergo church discipline. And the person doesn't understand why he or she should undergo that church discipline because the Holy Spirit will convict him of his sin. He will ask for forgiveness and everything will be fine. So why, what do you, what, what is your take on such a situation? It's like saying, Oh, I want to punish myself for the wrong I did. Then I take a cane. Then I cane myself. I cane myself. You say, yes, I, I punish myself. So because of that, uh, nobody should punish me. It's funny. The word of God did not originate with you. Check discipline exists because of more than just you. No Christian is an island. You are a member of the body of Christ. And Romans 12, 5 says, you are members one of another. You are not just by yourself. You can't do things just by yourself like that. Even though you are an individual, you are members of the body of Christ. In fact, Ephesians 5, 30, 31 says, you are of his bones and of his flesh. Therefore, when you sin, you are not the only person who is involved. Ecclesiastes 9.18 One sinner does a lot of harm to other people. Look at David when he counted Israel in Second Samuel 24. When David counted Israel, it was he who sinned. 70,000 people died. Look at Jonah when he was running away from God and he entered that ship. Look, every the storm, they had to throw away their wares and goods and everything. One sinner in your ship brings a lot of trouble. If you sin in any church, you cause spiritual trouble in the church. Who tells you that when you punish yourself, it means it's okay? It's not over. It's not over. What about the other damage you have done? So in Second Samuel chapter 12, 
Nathan told David that by this action, you have caused a lot of the enemies of God to blaspheme. Therefore, the child would die. Not only that, you slept with this man's wife in secret. Somebody will sleep with your wives in the open. I will bring a sword to your home as a result of this. And that is even after David laid on the floor, fasted seven days on the floor, the child died. That's it. Christianity did not originate with you. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I think I've answered that question. Okay. Thank you very much for the answer. So based on the answer you gave, I believe it implies there is nothing called personal discipline as against church discipline. So we cannot opt or decide that this thing that has happened or this thing I've done, I choose to let the church discipline me or I choose to go through a personal discipline where I will punish myself. It's like saying, oh, I've just finished doing armed robbery or burglary. But... I'm punishing myself so the police should not come for me. You can, it doesn't stand anywhere. It doesn't work in any man. Now, personal discipline, if we are using the term loosely, you can decide that, okay, I'm disciplining myself. So I will eat only half a plate of food for 21 days. Or I want to pray to midnight every day. As part of my self-discipline. No problem. But when you sin. Some of the sins. The power. To punish or exonerate yourself. No longer lies in your hands. You can throw a stone. But you cannot stop it. From hitting. Or breaking a glass. If you do something. You must prepare for the consequences of that. You see, look at Cain. God told him not to kill his brother and overcome that temptation in Genesis 4 from 7. He went right ahead and killed Abel. And when God asked him, he said, am I my brother's keeper? And God told him, my friend, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me in heaven here. And from now, you are cursed. And the F which has opened his mouth to drink your brother's blood will never do anything to help you again. You will be a vagabond and a fugitive all the days of your life. You know, when you sin, the choice of what punishment you get no longer lies with you. You don't determine it again. Two girls go and fornicate one night. One gets pregnant, the other doesn't, nothing shows on her. They have both seen the same way, but one is a pregnancy, you carry it for nine months, if you choose to abort it, the scar is on you. Another person sleeps and nothing happens. But all of them have sinned equally. And God knows how to handle both, according to First Timothy chapter 5, 
verse 23 and 24. He says the punishment of some people's sins, it goes in front of them. But other people, it is behind waiting for judgment. That's it. So it is in your own interest. I, I think it's First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 to 31. He says, if you judge yourself, you will not be judged. But if you don't, you will be punished so that God doesn't have to punish you with the rest of the world. And one other argument, please, is First Corinthians chapter 4. Please, can you read that for us, Kelvin? First Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read verse 4 and 5. First Corinthians 4. 4 and 5. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Even if your conscience is clear, it doesn't make you innocent. The Lord still judges you. Yes. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So, please let us all be careful. The fact that your conscience is no longer condemning you doesn't mean God has cleared you. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Apostle. We want to continue with the next question. We want to find out, so with all we've spoken about, about the need for church discipline. Now, when a church disciplines an individual, what is next? So an individual has gone through church discipline. What What is the next step for that individual? And the follow-up question will be, can an indi- can that individual decide that I will undergo the discipline, but afterwards I don't think I can stay in the church just to avoid the shame? Can Is it appropriate for that individual to make that decision? Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's a great question. Over time... I assure people that, yes, David was disciplined for the Bathsheba problem, but he was restored. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. He was restored. So there are three people who should do their work. The first is the disciplinary committee needs to counsel the person back to restore the person. We see this in John chapter 21 from verse 15 to 17 when after Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus, after his resurrection, confronted Peter three times before the fire. And asked him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? 
feed my lambs. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. So it was a restoration process for Peter. Two, church members. Church members do have to be spoken to so that when somebody finishes taking their term of punishment, they should receive him back and welcome him back into the fellowship. That's Second Corinthians chapter 2, from verse 7 to 11. Paul was arguing that Satan will overtake us if somebody has sinned and repented and been disciplined and he has come back, but people are not willing to forgive and embrace me, then Satan takes over. So look at Mary Magdalene. Seven demons were cast out of her. If it were today, people say, you, she's a witch. I saw it myself. Seven demons came out of her. But she was serving Jesus. She was the last at the tomb, the first at the resurrection. The person announcing the resurrection. Somebody out of whom seven demons have been cast. So church attitude must be trained so that when somebody takes a punishment and is welcomed back into the fellowship, that's how discipline is, even in the house. When we discipline our children and they weep and they repent, they come back, mommy, daddy, and everything is restored. You even love the person more. The third area is the person who is being disciplined himself. He or she needs to forgive himself and manage to, you see, many of us don't see the eternal consequences of sin. So, what, I, I just fornicated and look at how they are punishing me. You just fornicated. You just fornicated. Haven't you read First Corinthians 6, 9 to 11? Haven't you read Galatians 5, 19 to 21? Fornicators will go to hell, the lake of fire. They have no portion in the kingdom of heaven. If you fornicate, you are not going to have, whose heaven are you going to with that fornication? You will be comforting yourself saying that, I just fornicated. You just fornicated. When somebody was killed for telling a lie, somebody in the Bible was killed for spilling semen on the floor in Genesis 38. What are you saying? What? This generation thinks too highly of itself. But if you are punished and you take the punishment, stay in the church. It's a glory. One of my church members came the other time and thanked us for punishing him. You know, we had to deal with the case because he was married and he went out to impregnate another woman. And it was a difficult case, but the disciplinary committee handled it well and he came in front of the church before his wife and everybody and confessed openly he did and the punishment was slapped on him 
He took the punishment. And after the punishment, he stayed in the church. And he rose up. Even the guy I said I lashed 12 lashes rose up to become a district pastor. Yes. You can now give the person responsibility because the person has shown that he's, you know, committed for taking the punishment. If you are feeling shy about the thing, then don't do it. If you are feeling shy, don't do it. If you do it, then you must pay the penalty. Well, you will say that, but we are all under grace. Yes. Who is not? Who is not? We are all under grace. There are people who need to report themselves to the nearest spiritual headquarters for discipline. Because the kind of life you are living, if you continue like that, you will go to hell. No curse, no bent. It's not a curse. The kind of life you are living, do you think you will see Jesus with this life? You may need to report yourself so that you confess yourself to somebody and they pray and counsel you. Yes, madam. Okay. Thank you very much. So I want to find out what should our attitude be based on all this thing we've, we've, we've discussed or all the things on church discipline we've discussed as Christians. What should our position be or what should our attitude be towards church discipline? Some Bible verses, I use them until they have become part of me. Romans 8.29 says that those God foreknew, he predestined that they should be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled faces, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of God. First John 3, 2 and 3 says, When we see Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And anyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, don't be deceived. Bad company destroys good character. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says, just as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. The companion of fools will be destroyed. First, Corinthians 5, 7. A little living leavens the whole. The truth about church discipline is that God wants all his children to be like Jesus. Full stop. So Colossians 1, 28, Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. The church 
doesn't just get up and punish, punish. No, it, it, church is not a place for mad punishing. No, church discipline is not because there is nothing to do. The church discipline exists so that they will bring back the wayward onto the road. And in fact, whenever a person is involved in a sin, we all check to see whether it's a leprosy which goes beyond the skin or it's happenstance. And we look at the circumstances whether it was an accident or a planned intentional sin. That's how we judge it. Some church members, whenever you discipline a church member, they will go around and say, oh, for me, if tell me, I will leave this church. Leave and go where? Which, which God are you going to? Is the God in that church, is he dead? Is he deaf? Is he blind? Didn't he see you in this church? You did this year, they want to punish you, you run to another church and you think you are escaping who? You see? Psalm 139 verse 7, he says, Whither shall I flee from your presence? How can I hide from your spirit? Jeremiah 23, 23, 24. He says, am I not a God at hand and a God afar off? In which place can you hide yourself so that I will not see you? So, church members who advise people who have been punished that they should leave the church. For me, I can't stand this. No. Oh, if I were you, I would go where? Which God are you worshipping? So, my counsel is this. When somebody is punished, let's encourage the person. When somebody is disciplined, let's, you know, keep the terms. Let's help the person, counsel the person, warn the person. So that they, we can save their souls. This is the 21st century. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God's holiness standards have come down. It is not true. It is not true. If anything, the standard is higher. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. So nobody should confuse us by giving the impression that because of grace, God is love. So because of that, he is not the type of God in the Old Testament. If God's holiness standard comes down, he ceases to be God. And the Old Testament people he punished deserve an apology. Sodom and Gomorrah have no Bible. So if he punished them that way, what about us today? So long live church discipline. I pray for pastors. I pray for church elders to have backbone to be able to discipline and Know that if you don't discipline them, the presence of God can leave the church. After some time, you see that a lot of people are taking communion, people are doing anything, and nothing is happening in the church. Because God knows that with that type of lifestyle, if he comes, he will just destroy everybody. Amen.
Amen. The last but one question says that some members begin to shun the one being disciplined. What is your take on it? Is it appropriate for us to do that? Or we should show them love? Yes, that's the answer. If somebody is undergoing discipline, we show them love, we encourage them, we strengthen their hands so that they can take the discipline and go through it. We bring people who have been disciplined to come closer to him and show that they were disciplined, they've gone through it, and now here they are. Please, before you discipline publicly, it's good to speak to the whole church about their attitude so that they do not lose the soul. And like I've mentioned, this in Second Corinthians chapter 2, all the way from verse 7 to 11. Paul was saying we are not ignorant of the devices of Satan. Otherwise, he will take advantage of that and then destroy the brother altogether. Thank you very much. So we'll take our last one. So someone is asking, is a Christian permitted to have more than one wife? Is a man with more than one wife considered to be in adultery? Okay, let's look at two scenarios. One is the person had more than one wife before becoming born again. He keeps his plural wives, but is entitled to communion and is a full church member because he did it in ignorance. Just like the arm robber, the witch, the juju man, we were all in ignorance. But the blood of Jesus washed us. Therefore, if the blood can wash the homosexual and wash the juju man, then that same blood washes the man with plural wives. He enters the church with as many of the wives that are born again, and he is not allowed to put them away. But scenario two, if you are already married to one wife and you are born again, you are not allowed to add a second wife. Now, First Timothy chapter 3 from verse 1 to 4 explains that the bishop must be husband of one wife. The deacon also. This means that certain posts of responsibility in the church, eldership, and so on, can only be occupied by believers who have one wife. So though you have plural wives, you are born again, 
you are allowed in the church, you take communion as any other child of God, you do not become a church elder because of the example you are setting. So, I think that should answer your question. Thank you very much, Apostle. Let me put two questions into one. What what criteria is used to select the members of the disciplinary board? Another person is asking, why are the people not allowed to take communion? And then the last one is that, do you discipline the church elder the same way you discipline a member? Okay, the disciplinary board must be carefully selected. You should look at people who are able to discipline their children in their homes. According to the First Timothy 3, 4 and 5. You should look at their personal lives because the moral courage to discipline others comes only if you are not doing questionable things. Otherwise, when they point their fingers to you, you cannot come out. And then, after choosing the people, it is important for the pastor and the leadership to spend some time training them. Like Moses was asked to do in Exodus chapter 18 by Jethro. You you train the people before giving them the work. And thirdly, there should be that connection between the church board and the disciplinary board such that there can be free flow of ideas and suggestions to make sure that their work is effective. Many times as a pastor, I am interested in what the disciplinary committee is doing because I know certain things about church members which the board does not know. So if I don't hear anything about their decisions, I can't make any input. So that's about the board's composition. Then, communion. Those who have more than one wife qualify to take communion because the same grace which saves you, saves them. When a person is doing something, we feel he or she should not take communion again. It is because we judge that the lifestyle is breaking the flow of fellowship. First John chapter 1 from verse 5 to 7 says that God is light. There is no darkness in him. If we walk in darkness and claim we have fellowship with God who is light, we lie and the truth is not in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, from verse 18, it says that some people are sick, some people are weak, some people have died from taking communion because they took it unworthily. 
not discerning the Lord's body. So, when we punish these people, you're actually saving them from being punished by the Lord. And normally our punishment is lighter than what God does. This is why we exclude certain people from communion when we examine what they have done. If, for example, a church member has gone to swear to a fetish or consult a fetish because of a dead person or something, when the person comes back, Definitely, something must be done because you you call Jesus Lord and vow to him as your Lord and personal Savior. When you go and vow at a fetish house, you have broken that trust. You've taken a new Lord. And therefore, you must be punished. I think First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says, you can't take from the Lord's table the cup of blessing, and then come and eat from the devil's table. Are we stronger than the Lord? Do you want to provoke him to jealousy? So we must, as a church, be careful and make sure we discipline such people so that God's wrath does not break out. Thank you very much. Okay, good evening, Apostle. This one, quick one. Uh, when you read First John chapter 5, verse 17 there, it says that there are some sins that lead to death and some are not. So I wanted to know which sins lead to death. And it also says that you need not to pray for those who sins lead to death. Why is it so? Thank you, sir. Uh, yes. Jesus himself tells us in Mark chapter 3 from verse 24 to 27 that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an eternal sin. It will never be forgiven in this world or in the world to come. So it's not John who is originating the idea. The sins and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, you cross thread. So Hebrews chapter 10, from verse 26 to 31, also tell us that if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice for sins. Because you have trodden the Son of God underfoot and counted his blood an unworthy thing, and you have insulted the Holy Spirit. So God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So the scripture tells us that there is a borderline. If you cross that and you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit or treat the blood of Jesus as an unclean thing and walk on God's son and his sacrifice, then you place yourself in a place where nobody can help you. That's what John is saying. So I honestly don't want to fall into that category. Whenever I read some of those passages, I I steer clear 
of those lines. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Apostle. So to conclude, we'll let Apostle give a concluding remarks on our topic for today. And whilst he's giving the concluding remarks, someone is asking that with all this knowledge or this depth of knowledge that you have, Apostle, what are what are some of the ways you have taken to impart this knowledge onto our generation or onto younger generations? So please, as you give your concluding remarks on our topic, please try and address this person's question. That's which ways have you taken or have you adopted to ensure that this knowledge of the Bible that you have, you are passing it on to we the younger generation. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, this topic itself is controversial. As far as sharing my knowledge with this generation, that's why we started the Christ-like Disciple Makers Movement Bible College. We are trying to rope in people who love Jesus. You don't feel called to become a full-time pastor, but you love Jesus. You want to serve him with your gifts and calling. The CDMBC provides a training one week at a time, three times a year for the face-to-face Bible college, and then online too. We have started three times a year. I believe with all my heart that as you go through the Bible school, and we we insist that you read the Bible for yourself. Read from Genesis to Revelation and summarize the chapters in four words, chapter by chapter, so that nobody can deceive you. When you listen to a sermon, you ought to be able to say yes. This guy is teaching the right thing. It is in another part of the Bible. It's this. Your own salvation and knowledge of the truth is critical in these our times. And you can easily fall into the hands of pastors who don't even believe in disciplining people at all. And they see sin in the church, but leave it like that. After some time, everybody is doing it your conscience comes down. You say, well, oh, so, so, and so did it. Pastor didn't say anything. We need to sit up and understand that the love which paid for us on Calvary paid for sin. We cannot live in sin and expect him to be happy with us. And I saw another question in the box that if a, a person you have disciplined wants to come back. Should you receive him? Yes and no. 
If the person left in rebellion and wants to come back because he thinks the years have passed, you have forgotten, then definitely you have to sit him down and like a returning wife, you know, interrogate the person. But if it is out of self-realization like the prodigal son and you are satisfied, why not you take him in? Brothers and sisters, I want to end with Hebrews 12.10. It says, Our fathers disciplined us for their own pleasure, but God disciplines us so that we will become partakers of his holiness. Do not let us despise the discipline of God or of the church. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, we are glad we can discuss church discipline in the 21st century. I'm praying that you convince your children. Lord, let them have encounters with you tonight. And as they read their Bibles, Father, let your spirit speak one by one to each child of yours. And help us to appreciate your holiness. That you are coming for a church that is holy and blameless. Help us to keep ourselves on our toes. Give those of us who are in leadership in the church backbone. To discipline those who need discipline. So that the others will stand in fear of God and will live upright. And the unbelievers can respect your house. Lord, let this message not just fall down onto the ground. May it be wafted until every pastor who needs to know this hears it in Jesus' name. May your blessing continue to be with us. Lord, cover us with the blood of Jesus from any return of COVID and keep us in your fold, fruitful, living for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Follow JFK Mensa Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.